0: And roll brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to discuss Nuggets Eve. This is the final day before we have regular season content, before Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. make their hopefully triumphant returns to the basketball court as the Denver Nuggets are going to play the Utah Jazz in Salt Lake City on Wednesday night. I'm going to be at the game. I'm hopping on a flight very early Wednesday morning. Should be at shoot around in the morning as well. And then we'll get to cover everything on the ground for everybody. I know it's a a small party of us with the media that are going, but I'm really excited. I'm really excited. This should be a lot of fun. This is going to be a good year for me. Uh, Just traveling wise, making sure I'm I'm out there giving you guys as as strong of content as I can possibly give. But more importantly, this should be a good year for the nuggets, as they are in position to do something special. For the first time, I picked this team to win the NBA championship this last or this last podcast. It's the first time I've done that before. It's the first time I've ever thought about doing that before, for real. I think that the 2020-21 season Denver had, like, they were close when you think about, okay, you just have to get in the last piece in Aaron Gordon then you've got something pretty special there. Unfortunately, Denver realized that they're missing perimeter defense. They also just lost Jamal Murray. So they didn't really have what it took in that playoff run to be able to go far. Now I think they do. And so you could feel the excitement. You could feel just the anticipation of what's going on and and how this team is going to look forward. And they're going to take the long view, but they're also going to take some – Uh, Time to smile and have fun with all of this process for Murray's sake, for Porter's sake. It's going to be very, very fun. First segment, let's talk about the practice that happened today. Second segment, we're going to preview the game on uh, tomorrow, Wednesday. And then third segment, I'm going to do awards picks. I'm going to go through all the individual awards and focus in on those just as I focused in on playoff predictions and regular season predictions in the last podcast. So should be fun. Wanted to make sure to just get those on record. Didn't think about it exceedingly much, but I still think it should be fun. We talked at practice. Uh, We watched them take a half-court competition, basically, and you had a variety of players shoot half-court shots. Peyton Watson won that competition, though Christian Brown also made a half-court shot in front of the media. And it was nice. It was nice to see those guys just having fun, enjoying life. Very clear that the vibes are good with this team. And I'm excited to be out there in Utah because I think that they're in a really good place if this practice is any indication. We spoke to Nicole Jokic, we spoke to Jamal Murray. Let's talk about Murray first. He really is the man of the hour, even over Porter, honestly, because Denver fans, they saw Porter more recently. Murray it was he was clearly on track to be a star, and then had that ripped away from him during this uh during a couple seasons ago. So it was good to see Murray. He's definitely nervous, but he's excited. He was good natured and smiling, very ready to go. Uh in in quote, he said, ready to go, excited to play, ready to be out there. But he also talked about how painful and frustrating and arduous this journey was. It's going to be 555 days since he's played a regular season game for the Nuggets. And he knows that this is a step in the process, that the journey doesn't stop here. He doesn't he doesn't crested the mountain yet. He's still got a ways to go in order to get back to the version of himself that he likes. So he said, quote, I reflect on that shit every day. Still going. It's an ongoing process. Just glad to be back doing what I do. you love to hear it. you love to hear it from Jamal. He has good vibes. He doesn't really have any major expectations for himself, though. He knows that the long-term goal for both him and for the team doesn't start on October 18th. Or it does, I guess, but this is one of the least important games when it comes to making sure that the team is ready to go in April. They will have plenty of time for that over the course of these next six months. Think about it. It's six months away is when the playoffs are. So it's going to be a long process, going to be enjoyable, but still Murray is very much cautious. The Nuggets are very cautious. They are focused on making sure that hamstring was perfectly okay. And it is. He was off the injury report today. Only Colin Gillespie was on the injury report for the Nuggets, and so Murray is now in a good place where he's going to be able to play, and how much he plays we'll just have to see, but I do think that the expectations should be relatively low, and that's fine. Like He's in a spot where he said, uh, uh, today he said he's, he's not necessarily interested in the expectations for his return to play. It's more of just being out there. He said, quote, Like I said, I'm just excited to be out there and figuring it out, having something to figure out, going home and watching film, whether I miss 10 shots or not, just having work to do, you know? That makes sense. It makes sense. He just wants to be out there because the process of becoming the best version of himself, he still has to be on the court. And so, getting on the court is the first step, getting better on the court is the next step, and then... Becoming the best version of himself is the final step. So whether that takes a long time or not, it doesn't really matter. I think he's more capable than he's probably letting on. But I think he's also trying to keep the expectations pretty low. Nikola Jokic, he knows his expectations are pretty low. It's really funny, actually. Uh, He said of Murray, quote, I love to play with him on the court. I know he's going to be really bad for the first 20 games, but we're going to survive. We will need to get in a rhythm. He will be inconsistent, but hopefully he's going to be old Jamal. He's going to be back on track to how he played before the injury. That's good to hear. Jokic is joking, obviously, that he's going to be really bad for the first 20 games, or maybe he's not. Maybe he just knows that this is going to be a longer process for him and that he's not going to be the best version of himself. And maybe that just means like, okay, he's really bad. He's only averaging 15 points, five assists on 43% from the field and 35% from three. That's not really bad. It's worse. It's not as bad as it could be, that's for sure. But it really could be worse. Denver just needs those minutes. Again, 15 points and five assists, those would both exceed what Monte Morris put out last year. So it's not like, like Denver can definitely deal with that. But Jokic was also just – he was way better with the media than he has been to date uh, in talking about Utah specifically. He says, uh, quote, we need to have the right mentality to have the right focus for it. It's a tough crowd, a tough arena to play there. They changed a little bit of their team, but the energy that that arena has, that the, that team always has, dot, dot, dot. Hopefully, we can sustain that mentality. Uh The Nuggets are 1 in 11 in the Jokic and Malone era in Salt Lake City. When they travel to Vivint Arena, they have really struggled. It's been a long process for this team to try to figure out how to play in Utah. And so it's not a surprise that Jokic says this. I know that everybody might laugh and shake their heads at it because the Utah guys are completely different. Like, they don't have Rudy Gobert, they don't have Donovan Mitchell but they still have some capable veterans. Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson are still there. Larry Markkinen, Colin Sexton, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley. It's a lot of good players. So if Denver doesn't show up, then they're going to get rolled. And the momentum of it being a season opener, all those games are very weird. So I have no doubt that Jokic, he knows how focused and, and together they need to be. In order to beat a team like Utah in Utah, he had a nice quote on his excitement for opening night Hey, Nicola, are you excited for playing on the opening night? He gave a deadpan, Yes, while looking as unenthused as he possibly could. He's funny. Like, he does like the process. I think some of this is performative, where he does enjoy this process. He does like to be out there, he's a competitive player. But he also doesn't like the process sometimes. He likes the games to mean something. He likes the high leverage. And he likes to be successful in those moments. Unfortunately, like game one versus Utah, it's probably not going to mean that much in the grand scheme of things. But they still have to have that process down. And I think he knows that. And then the last one for him. I think he had a really good quote on his patience. Uh he was asked today, I think it was by Katie Wingy that yeah, it was by Katie Wingy that basically Malone had talked about, hey, he's a little bit less uh patient is, is I guess the word that I should use here. And that he, he might not necessarily have that patience with guys in that he had in recent years. Why is that? What's what's been going into that? And I'm paraphrasing here but he basically said, I've been here for the last seven years. So the system, the scheme is easy for me. I know the details really well. So when someone messes it up, I'm like, how do you not know that? That's what happens when there are new players every year. For me, it's natural. For them, it's the first time they see that. It's normal for them to not know where they're supposed to be. So I read that and think, okay, we've talked about how his attitude, his uh, he's a little bit, not petulant, but I think the word is he's, he's definitely less patient, is is definitely clear. Like He holds the team to a pretty high expectation. That's real. That's not necessarily a performance there. That's something that he's done for a while now. And I do think that in the long run, it will be a good thing for this team that they need to be held to a high standard. Jokic needs to be held to a high standard. He can't Slack off, and neither should the rest of the team. Everybody needs to know exactly what they need to do in order to be the best version of the team that they possibly can be. And too long, the Nuggets have kind of been lax on the details. They've been lax in a lot of different categories. So hopefully, this is a new version of Jokic that is just holding his teammates accountable, making sure that everybody's on the same page, being a good leader, and not necessarily just being upset that guys don't know stuff. I don't think that that's what the case is, but I think think he's being the good leader. I think he's talking to guys about where they need to go in some of those situations. But more than anything, it's just about keeping the team engaged and focused in these situations. I think he's doing a good job with that. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss the game against Utah in a little bit more depth. But first... Superbook Sports is our sponsor, and let me tell you, folks, nobody is more excited than your friends over at Super Bowl Sports that football is back. But I'm going to bring something new. Base- or basketball is back. Baseball's still going, I know, but basketball is back, and you can finally bet on opening night in the NBA this year. Superbook is bringing Vegas style wagering to the palm of your hands, and now they'll match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000, no matter if the bet wins or loses. You do not have to be in the arena to enjoy basketball this fall, this winter, and all the time in between. Just visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting in on all of the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Nick Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Let's discuss the game preview for the Utah Jazz and, and where the Nuggets kind of stand right now, heading into their season opener. They've traveled already to Salt Lake City. They've gotten on a plan. They'll go through shoot-around tomorrow in Vivint, and then they will head into opening night on Wednesday night. Should be a lot of fun. The injury report for this Nuggets team—only Colin Gillespie is on there. No Jamal Murray, no Michael Porter, no Nikola Jokic. All of those guys, I think, are like—they're not perfectly healthy. I don't think anybody's really describing it like that. Jokic talked about the the wrist today. He had this big uh, ice pack that was wrapped on his right wrist today, and he was talking about how this was going to be a new trend, and that it doesn't necessarily bother him, but. It's going to be a new trend, and I think he's kind of goading the media a little bit because we've been talking to him about it, been talking to him about his wrist, and I think he's, like I said, it's a little bit more performative than it actually is in terms of how it's affecting him, but it's something that he's going to deal with for a significant portion of his career. It's just going to be something that he has to manage, and that's fine. A lot of guys have to manage various injuries, but Murray's off the injury report for his hamstring. Porter has not made an appearance on the injury report yet, and Jokic is not on the injury report for his right wrist. The injury report for Utah has not been submitted yet as of this recording at about 4.30 p.m. Mountain Time, so I'm just going to assume that all of the Utah guys are ready to go. They've had, like, illness. They they haven't had any major injuries from what I understand. There have been some guys that have sat out with some nicks and stuff, but Feel like that's more precautionary than anything. So the expected starters for both teams, obviously with Denver, you've got Jamal Murray, KCP, MPJ, Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Jokic. Very strong starting unit, very versatile starting unit. With Utah, they're a little bit more interesting, but I think they're gonna go pretty veteran-savvy, veteran-heavy. They're going Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Larry Markinen, Kelly Olinick and Jared Vanderbilt. That's the lineup that they started in their final game of their preseason. Though Malik Beasley sat out and he started a game at one point, though Colin Sexton is a guy that they played, that they paid significant money to, I assume that those guys are going to come off the bench and that it's mostly going to be the five that I mentioned. Conley, Clarkson, Markkanen, Olinick, Vanderbilt. In which case, like you've got the other guys in Utah's rotation. I mentioned Malik Beasley and Colin Sexton, but you've got Taylor Horton-Tucker, Rudy Gay, Walker Kessler. I don't think that there's going to be anybody else in Utah's rotation, but it should be interesting to see what they decide to do. They've got some good talent. The real question is when that talent is going to be traded away because this team is ripe for the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes. There's no doubt that that's the direction that they should be going. The only question is when they start to go that way. I think if they start the lineup that they have projected, they're probably going to win about 30 to 35 games. Like I think this lineup is pretty comparable to maybe the Sacramento Kings, maybe slightly worse than them. So if that's an 11 seed, obviously you've got a lot of teams in between you and Victor Wempanyama, the top of the lottery. So I think they're going to change that at some point, but not tonight. How do the starters match up against each other? This is a good point. Jokic, I think, is one of those guys that is going to command the respect of any of those players, and he's going to probably be double teamed for a lot of the night. So you're going to get opportunities for cutters, for Murray to space the floor, for Porter to space the floor, for KCP to space the floor, but also to cut, and then for Gordon to duck in and make his presence felt on the, the interior of the rim. So I think it's going to be interesting. I don't necessarily expect Gordon to have a bunch of success because and Olinik, Vanderbilt, all of those guys can battle on the interior against him. Battling against Jokic is a little bit different because he's just so much bigger than Gordon. But with Porter, all of those guys have the length as well to kind of match up and contest his shots. But I do think that if you're looking from starter to starter, Denver's got the better lineup. There's no question about it. I do think that the Utah starting five, they have some potential to rattle off some points that if Denver doesn't communicate, if they don't commit to their defensive scheme, if they let go of easy layups and open threes, then Utah's going to be able to keep keep pace. That's There's no doubt in my mind. Now, who plays on Denver's bench? I mentioned Utah's bench. I think that Denver's bench kind of maintained this for a while, Bones, Bruce Brown, Davon Reed, Jeff Green, and DeAndre Jordan. No Ish Smith, no Christian Brown, no Zeke Najee. All of those guys could potentially play, but most likely it's going to be the above five. Bones, Bruce, Davon, Jeff Green, DeAndre Jordan. And that's fine. Like, that lineup can definitely be successful against Utah's bench. They're not necessarily the most dynamic bench, although Malik Beasley and Colin Sexton can definitely fill it up, like they have the talent to really score. So Bones is going to be under a lot of pressure. That's going to be something that I'm definitely watching. Who helps out Bones? And can Bones do it all by himself? Because I guess not. I think the odds that he outscores or that he gets outscored by Colin Sexton are relatively high in this case. But if he does outmatch Colin Sexton, then give Denver a real shot in this game, and that would be a great prop up point for this bench unit. Where does Denver have an advantage? The center spot for sure. One of Markin and Olenek, Vando or Walker Kessler, their rookie, is going to have to guard Jokic. There's no doubt about that. There's also no impact defender in that starting lineup on Murray or Porter. Like who's going to guard Murray? Is it? Jordan Clarkson? Is it Mike Conley? It's probably Jordan Clarkson. In which case, Mike Conley is chasing around KCP. It's not necessarily a good matchup for either of those guys. And then who's going to guard Michael Porter? Probably Larry Markkinen is my guess. But Porter can get by him, can shoot over him. Although Markkinen is very tall. So we're going to see. Like Markkinen has actually, that's a tougher matchup for Porter than I think a lot of people would think. But I do think that he can still manage that. He's talented enough to do so. So if if I'm Denver, I'm probably having KCP guarding Clarkson, Murray on Conley, Aaron Gordon on Markkinen, uh probably Michael Porter on Kelly Olenek, and Jokic on Jared Vanderbilt. But it could be different. Like maybe they have Gordon battling Vando. Maybe they have Porter on Markinen. We'll just have to see what they do with those matchups, but it's probably going to be pretty switchable. There's nobody there that really punishes Jokic on the perimeter, except maybe Markkanen. So we'll just have to see. But I'm also looking at Bones. If he can score with that second unit, there's a lot of pressure on him to do so, especially with the bench lineup that Denver's running out there. I don't think that Denver's going to stagger that much in this game, so it's probably going to be mostly Bones in those situations. But we're going to have to see. We're going to have to see what Denver does. I think that that could be a good thing for Denver, but also potentially a bad thing if they contain Bones well. You are going on the road, going to a place in Salt Lake City that, like Jokic said, is pretty tough to play. So for Bones, he has to travel. That's definitely something where if you don't get as good of a night from Bones, I wouldn't be surprised. Now, where does Utah have the advantage? Murray and Porter, probably going to be rusty defensively. Jokic, obviously, honestly, probably going to be rusty defensively. And the Jazz have capable scorers at those positions, whether it's uh, Larry Markkinen, whether it's Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Colin Sexton off the bench. They've got some good scorers at various positions. DeAndre Jordan Knight, probably. I think Walker Kessler, though he's a rookie, he has the potential to provide defensive impact for that team. And if he's around the rim, because DeAndre Jordan's around the rim all the time, then he might pick up some blocks. He might be really good defensively for them. And so that's going to be something to watch in those minutes. Like If Denver loses those minutes by double digits, it will probably have something to do with Walker Kessler walling off the rim. Colin Sexton also remains good. Bruce Brown will be on him. That's a great defender. Better than what the... Uh, Better than what the Utah Jazz have to shut down Bones with on that second unit. They probably will use and Horton Tucker if I had to guess. But I do think that that's a pretty good matchup for Denver if Bruce Brown is on Colin Sexton. But Malik Beasley, he can still get hot from deep too. So it would not surprise me if Denver struggles in this one defensively. Now, will Denver win? They should. Like they should. This is the Utah Jazz we're talking about. This is not the Utah Jazz of old, where Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, really anchoring the the starting unit for that team over the course of several years. And if you're the Nuggets, that's a that was always a tough place to be. 1-11, dating back to the 2015-16 season in Salt Lake City. And you're probably going to play fewer minutes for your main guys. 20 to 25 minutes for Murray is my expectation, 25 to 30 minutes for Porter, probably still 34 minutes for Jokic. Like I still think that he's probably going to play a significant number, but then you're getting a big test for Bones on the road. It wouldn't surprise me if Denver had to close this game without a point guard at the end of the game. They might go with Bruce Brown. So it's going to be fascinating. I can't wait to watch this one. Going to be very, very fun. But either way, it's good to get back on the high horse, back to playing and watching basketball. It's going to be very good. This season is going to be fun. Let's take a final break. When we come back, we are going to do awards picks for the 2022-23 season. We'll be right back. Back. Final segment, pickaxe and roll, Ryan Blackburn. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Can it be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast? Haven't seen a review come in in a while, so even if it's a one-star review, honestly, I mean, don't don't give me a one-star review. That would be that'd be wonderful if you didn't. But three stars, four stars, five stars—I don't care. Five stars would be fantastic. All right, awards predictions here. Just going to go through my predicted winner at each of these awards couple honorable mentions, and if a Nugget can win the award. We'll start with Rookie of the Year. This one's relatively easy from a Nuggets perspective. Christian Brown probably can't win this thing. He's not going to play enough. He's not going to start games. Unless Denver gets injured and he starts a whole bunch of games, plays way better than expected, and averages like 16 points, six rebounds, and four assists in the starting lineup in like 70 games then I doubt that he really has a shot. Likely, the rookie of the year is going to go to a rebuilding team. And the winner that I have predicted is Benedict Matherin of the Indiana Pacers. Going to play a lot of minutes for that team. Going to be in a rebuilding situation. Not sure if he's going to start out of the gate, but I do think he's going to play a lot of minutes off the bench at least, and then get into the starting lineup pretty soon after. Buddy Heald is removed from said starting lineup, whether that's via trade or just kind of the changing of the guard. Paolo Bancaro will be in the starting lineup. It looks like Keegan Murray will be in the starting lineup for the Sacramento Kings. But I do think that Benedict Matherin—he's just one of those guys that if he can get going, you can absolutely see him leading his team in points per game. And if that's the case. Then, as a guard, he's going to have a really, really solid argument. He just looks like he's built and ready for playing at the NBA level and scoring at the NBA level and just has an advanced feel. So, looking forward to watching him for sure. Most improved player Tyrese Maxey is probably the guy who's going to win. I know that there are some other higher profile players like Zion Williamson, Anthony Edwards, Cade Cunningham. A lot of former number one picks right at the top of that list. I also would consider Jalen Green for this award if he were to average like 25 a night. But I think it's going to be Tyrese Maxey. He's going to be in a situation where he's on a winning team. He's going to probably average over 20 points a game. And I have to imagine that that is going to resonate with a lot of people. He's going to be on a very quality team, has a really nice Q score already. Lots of people will campaign for him can a nugget win this award? Yes. Michael Porter Jr. and Bones Highland, both longer shots, I would say, but they both have a case. If Michael Porter averages 22 points per game and gets back onto track, maybe he gets to an all-star game. That's a really good case for winning most improved player for him, especially if he plays like 65 games. It's really good. And then Bones, if he averages like 18 points per game off the bench, Maybe starts a few games here or there, but most of the time, if he's just functionally scoring, if he's carrying Denver's bench unit, then there's a reason to believe that he could win. Most of the time, though, this is for higher profile players that are in starting lineups and have serious star potential. I think that Bones has star potential, but not a lot of other people see it that way. Sixth man of the year. Spencer Dinwiddie is the guy that I'm circling. I know that like Christian Wood has some good odds for the Dallas Mavericks, but I honestly think it's going to be Spencer Dinwiddie. He will play a lot of minutes, and he's going to have the ball in his hands a ton, because anytime Luka Doncic isn't on the court, Spencer Dinwiddie will be, and he's going to play a lot. He's going to be a facilitator. I bet he could average like 18 points and six assists a game and do that in about 30 minutes a night, and that might be enough. Honestly, especially if Dallas is really good. Honorable mentions. Jordan Poole is definitely the favorite for this award, and he probably will win it, to be honest. But I like the idea of Spencer Dinwiddie winning. I also like Bones Highland winning. Norman Powell. All of those guys, scoring guards off the bench, definitely have the pop necessary to explode and really change the complexion for a contending team. Any of those guys could win. Bones has a great shot. Bruce Brown, definitely a way longer shot. There might be some nerdy takes where Bones is averaging a whole bunch of points per game, but Bruce Brown is just doing it all with that second unit and actually is technically more valuable by some advanced metrics. But I don't know. Usually goes to the point scoring guys. Coach of the year. I'm predicting that Michael Malone gets this award. He's not really being mentioned a lot for this Coach of the Year award, but I do think that if the Nuggets are successful, I mean, this is always tied to team success, expectations, what people were thinking they were going to see versus what they actually saw. Everybody agrees that the Clippers have one of the most talented rosters in the league. So I'm not sure why Ty Lu gets penciled into just being the Coach of the Year favorite, Eric Spolstra is probably the guy who does the most with less, and he should probably be getting it, but for whatever reason, he doesn't really get that credit. and I don't think that he's going to get that credit this year. Honorable mentions for me, though, Ty Lue, Nick Nurse of the Toronto Raptors, and J.B. Bickerstaff of the Cleveland Cavaliers, but I think Malone can do it. If the Nuggets win, I don't know, 58 games and are the one seed, why can't he win? He's got to manage a lot of things. Denver probably doesn't have the most talent in the NBA, but if they have the best record, then you can attribute it to something. Defensive player of the year. I think Bam Adebayo probably wins this one. He's going to be on the court a lot more than he was last year, I think. That was pretty much the main reason why he didn't win last year. He was probably the best defender. But I think honorable mentions Rudy Gobert, Giannis, Evan Mobley, Herb Jones is a gigantic sleeper. There are some betting sites that I won't mention that have him as a pretty solid long shot with long shot odds. He's a guy that if the Pelicans have a top 10 defense and they've won 50 plus games and he's just in the the picture for everybody every single night doing some crazy defensive things, then why not give him an opportunity? Why not credit him with something like that? We'll see. Can a nugget win this? Probably not. Maybe Bruce Brown, but maybe he's just making an all-defense team. Even then, that's probably a stretch because that mostly goes to starters. Very rare that it goes to somebody that doesn't play starter minutes, but who knows? Maybe Bruce Brown plays starter minutes off the bench. And then finally, most valuable player. I'm predicting Giannis wins this. I'm not going to predict the Jokic wins. It's hard to predict a three-peat, though I think he'll be deserving, obviously. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be deserving. There's definitely some voter fatigue, and I hate that word. Like, it's getting very irritating now as to why he can't win it. But it is true. There's a lot of people that just want to see other people win and are going to go out of their way to make sure that he doesn't. So, I'm predicting Giannis as long as he plays upwards of 65 games and the bucks are at least a 50 win team. Everybody pretty much universally agrees that Giannis is the top player in the world. And usually you can bet on that guy to win a t- win a win an MVP. He's only won 2 in his career. He's probably going to finish with more. This feels like a good year for that. Still in his prime, going to put up some crazy numbers. I could see him doing it. Honorable mentions. Joel Embiid finishing second once again. Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Kevin Durant, and maybe Zion, if the Pels go wild like I talked about with Herb Jones, but could Nikola Jokic win this? Maybe, probably not. If he were to average like a triple double with incredible efficiency and the Nuggets were winning 60 games, then maybe. I just don't think he's gonna average those numbers though. He's going to pass a lot, but probably not score as much as he would need to, to really draw the attention of people. But either way, going to be an interesting award section for the Nuggets specifically. If I were to bet on one of these, I'd bet on Michael Malone winning coach of the year. I don't think that the others are more likely, though I do like Bones Highlands odds for winning six man of the year. That is at least on the table. But either way, that'll do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I'll talk to you guys after the game. First game of the season in Utah. Talk to you guys very soon.